0: All right, we are now streaming live. Um, I had a little bit of a delay. There we go. Uh, happy Monday morning, Monday, August twenty first. I was not on Facebook last week because I was in a conference. I've been um, appointed to uh, various task forces. of uh, nationwide organizations. So uh, the National Conference of State Legislators, I've been appointed to their uh, military uh, veterans task force, and we meet with um, representatives from across the nation. And uh, we met all day. Um, And then the conference was last week and talked about what states can do to help our veterans. Um, It's very um, interesting to hear what other states are doing. And uh, what's more interesting is that um, Illinois has been doing a lot of are now looking at doing um, for years. Like there was one state uh, looking at free college tuition for veterans. We've been doing that since I went to college uh, over 20 some years ago. Um, Other property tax relief for veterans, we've been doing that as well. So uh, it's, it's really nice to here and to see that Illinois is really a leader when it comes to supporting our veterans, and um, there are some, there were some good ideas that I took away from. But uh, definitely, collaborating with other veterans um, throughout the nation is uh, is very interesting, and it's also uh, interesting to hear from different representatives from different states as well. For example, one representative only has a district of 3,700 residents, uh, which is pales in comparison to um, my district. Our districts here in Illinois are over 100,000 residents. So uh, the differences between large and small states is interesting um, to learn about. And I think it's always important to learn about other individuals in other states and other representatives um, in a non political, uh, bipartisan way of how we can better serve our veterans uh, throughout the nation. So that's where I was last week. So I apologize. We did not have a Facebook Live last week uh, coming to you again today. First, uh, we do have to um, really acknowledge and and send our condolences to uh, Ron Kelly. So Congresswoman Robin Kelly lost her husband, uh, Dr. Nathaniel Horn, he was 68, and she posted on um, the platform formerly known as Twitter, um, now it's known as X, <laughs> that uh, she posted that, um, and it's quotes, my husband was a remarkable man, he will be sorely missed by all who knew him and loved him. Uh, she stated in, the, in her statement, whether he was dad, grandpa, or Nate, his impact on all who knew him And loved him will never be forgotten uh no cause of death was given so we send our condolences our thoughts our prayers and and um just um you know keep keep her family in in your mind and um and the the loss of her husband of 20 years so um our condolences to congresswoman robin kelly We also have to give a shout out to State Senator Willie Preston. Uh, If you've seen on the video, he came to the rescue of a truck driver whose semi truck had flipped on its side and he was trapped inside. So Preston was driving when he saw the truck on its side and it was smoking. He stopped and used a tool that he had in his car to break the windshield and get the driver out of the cab. Not only did he use the tool, he also... um, Worked very hard to dislodge the windshield and pulled it up and allowed the driver to exit the vehicle safely. So, I haven't seen that video. Uh, Senator Willie Preston is uh, jumped to the rescue of this driver, so uh, we've got to give a shout out to him as well. Now today. uh, and uh, last week, school starts. I have my NIU mug because I know NIU and colleges are starting uh, this week and um, and uh, everybody's back to school. And I know that I believe um, the school districts in our area has either started last week or will be starting this week. So wishing everybody um, a great beginning of the school year. I remember those days. I don't have any school days in the house now, but I remember 20, 20- getting kids up and making lunches and getting them out the door to the bus and uh, uh, hoping everybody has a good start of the day. So what, what are we going to look at again? Um, this week, we have a committee meeting with regards to pensions, still talking about pensions as a chair of pensions. It's very important that uh, we get sound policy, not just for the state of Illinois, but also sound policy for the men and women that work and dedicate their time, their effort, their lives to the state of Illinois. So that's the goal that we are working on. And um, we're going to be continuing to work on this throughout the summer. So um, even though technically, I don't think we have a, a legitimately another month left of summer. Uh, And I think everybody's going to appreciate that. And uh, speaking of summer, I'm going to repeat this multiple times, but there's a heat advisory warning in effect uh, for the high temperatures that we have this week. So please um, drink a lot of water, uh, limit your amount of time outside if need be, but also be very, very careful in those hot temperatures, uh, so we just need to always be careful with the heat advisory. So, um, but uh, throughout this this next month and a half, couple months, we're going to be working on uh, myself. Going to be working on pensions, committee meetings in the city. Definitely, again, in sound policy, I know that there is a mantra out there that, uh, you know, all government has to do things at the lowest cost. Well, I have to say that solving the pension issue is the lowest cost alternative because every day that goes by that we do not have a concrete plan, a solid fiscal policy with regards to our pensions, Uh, the growing unfunded liability debt gets higher and higher. So the lowest cost, the best thing we can do is uh, really get a good solution for this uh, situation that we're in. And uh, we've been in it for, since Governor Edgar signed the pension ramp. Now we are seeing that, um, you know, kicking the can, it lands right here, that's where we're at. And we're working very hard to make sure that we have sound policy. But I'm not going to bore you with pensions. I know that uh, it's not the most exciting uh, subject first thing in the morning, uh, first thing on a Monday morning. Uh, So uh, definitely there's all sorts of other things we can talk about this morning. So uh, we talked about hearings. Uh, There are other hearings going on. Um, There was a a hearing last week, I mentioned it briefly, I believe, and so during those House meetings, uh, members heard from civil rights lawyers and others about the state of healthcare, the healthcare state in our, um, just overall, healthcare is so important to so many individuals, and we as a state, again, policy with regards to our state, and with regards to. just taking care of people and doing the right thing. I mean, making sure that the healthcare is, um, you know, is there for individuals there for, um, loved ones. And, uh, and we need to have good policies with regards to that. So we have, um, Individuals back in the day before me uh, believed in privatization. Privatization is when you take government services that used to be run with the government, and then you contract out with private individuals. Now, this sometimes works, and it sometimes doesn't work. Uh, So since 2011, a little bit before my time, Illinois contracted with Wexford Health Services. But according to tenant monitors, the company has failed to provide proper care leading to suffering and preventable deaths. Now, Wexford had a 10-year contract, and that expired in 2021. The company continues to provide care in the prisons. However, the state is looking to bid out a new contract. Um, So definitely, um, those are very important uh, things that we are looking at with regards to the state, with regard to providing care to all persons under the state's cares. Uh, We definitely had a uh, uh, issue with subcontract or contracting out healthcare um, management services to our DCFS children in foster care. That was a bit of a debacle. The state uh, decided to source it. Um, And there were just a lot of issues. So sometimes holding outsourced, privatized companies accountable is a little bit more difficult. You would think it wouldn't be, but it turns out it could be a little bit more difficult than when it's done in-house. So the more, what um, we're looking at, more to come is looking at these contracts. So Lakeisha Collins, congratulations to my colleague, Representative Lakeisha Collins, because she has just been appointed to fill the vacancy created by the resignation of Senator Patricia Van Pelt. So Senator Patricia Van Pelt uh, retired and uh, created a vacancy in the Senate, and she'll be moving over the Senate. Now, there's also additional meetings to appoint that will serve in her seat and that should occur within 30 days. So uh, definitely congratulations to that. In Illinois, we do not have a special election system for state offices or for local offices. Uh, We just have an appointment system. So, and then that person is appointed until the next election. So congratulations to uh, Representative, now Senator Lakeisha Collins. So it's been a busy transferring over to legislation. It's been a busy time um, for us, for, for us in the General Assembly. The governor has vetoed six bills. So he, the governor has reviewed and signed or vetoed all the bills, all the bills that we sent him. So hearing his desk. Now the governor has to, just for a little bit of background, uh, the governor has to sign a bill Within 60 days or it automatically becomes law. So if he doesn't clear out the backlog between, I believe, 60 days, then it becomes automatically becomes law. So all the bills have been signed or and some vetoed. So uh 561 bills have become law, 343 house bills, 218 Senate bills, and the governor vetoed six bills. Now the the ratio of this is is interesting. So 561 bills. And if you recall way back in the day. When I talked about the filing of bills, there were thousands of bills that were filed and um, and thousands of bills that were filed, 561 bills became law. So this is the process of working through bills, working through legislators, um, filing bills, initiatives, and then going through and combining bills. Sometimes some bills got combined into bigger bills called omnibus bills. Sometimes some bills needed more work sometimes some bills just didn't go anywhere. So this is the process that we work in through every single day. So definitely uh, just wanted to let you know the process. You might not have remembered that from way back in the day. Thousands of bills were filed. 561 are signed or vetoed. So the governor vetoed six bills. Now one of them, House Bill 2507, this was uh, my bill. It was a property tax bill. If you would call this was a property tax on the bill. It has many different things in it, uh, including relief for veterans, uh, uh, clarification of language, uh, senior tax um, exemption increases, and um, various other components. I talked about in a previous Facebook Live, not going to repeat it here. You can find it on ilga.gov if you want to look it up, House Bill 2507. So what the governor can do is the governor can outright veto a bill, which is just strike it down. Or he can amendatory veto, which means he can take um, uh, action on a line or two, line item veto line or two. So the um, so what he did is he amended the bill. It's an amendatory veto, so it includes property tax relief. Like I said, it was supported by the governor. The governor believes in property tax relief. I believe in property tax relief. We got to keep working on property tax relief. But there was a uh, component of the bill. That only applies to Cook County. So, Cook County has different rates. Um, Of course, Cook County is different than the rest of the state. The rest of the state has one rate. So, when you pay your property taxes, you pay a third of the equalized assessed value. Roughly speaking, if your house is worth $100,000, a third of that is $30,000. You're taxed on that $30,000. The rate is taxed on one third of the equalized assessed value. In Cook County, they have different uh, levels. So uh, 25% EAV, 25%, not a third, not 30% like out in the burbs, 25% EAV on commercial and 10% on residential. Now the part that the governor amendatorily vetoed was a part that looked at residential nursing homes. Uh, residential nursing homes are mostly um, th- these that were um, in the bill were mostly Medicaid uh, Medicare type uh, nursing homes that housed individuals because of the unique nature of housing individuals in a residential capacity, the Senate again, if you recall, <laughs> we pass the house, we pass a bill in the house it goes to the Senate the Senate can change it. Back to the house we have to concur or non-concur so in the senate they added this provision to allow nursing homes that offer residential to individuals a residential property tax rate this is only in cook county because everybody else in the rest of the state is a third and um that was put on in the senate we concurred in the house and uh, the governor amendatorily vetoed out this language Uh, so, um, definitely we need to look at that language and, uh, it is, it is the bill that I sponsored and we need to look at if we are going to concur or not concur with the governor's amendatory language. If we do not concur with the language, then we do a vote to override the veto of the one in the house. Um, and the majority in the Senate. So uh, that's what we're all looking at right now, veto proof, if things have passed with a veto proof majority, and uh, and how or what direction we're going to take with regards to these vetoes that the governor instigated on these six bills. Uh, House Bill 2878, he did a, a mandatory veto as well. And in this bill, this was a, a procurement bill, And so he specifically focused on a provision that allows for the creation of a public-private partnership with counties, municipalities, and other unit locals of government, and uh, he claimed that uh, he did not have oversight in place. Now, as we've talked to before. We've done a lot of trailer bills, so there's some uh, question about this one because we could have always done a trailer bill to provide more oversight uh, to this, but he uh, amendatorily vetoed out that section. Um, In addition to that, uh, he amendatorily vetoed uh, House Bill 3445. So this was a omnibus uh, bill. With regards to energy and um, this bill, let me—I can pull this up really quick on my laptop here. So this bill is a quite um, was an energy bill, and uh, what it does is it it looks at provisions with regards to the Illinois Power Agency Act. So. So what this does is it really looked at creating a transmission efficiency and cooperative law. So it's it's uh, electric transmission is is pretty much running the lines. I'm not going to go into a lot of the details with regard to it, but it it is um, provides that uh, there's a, a right of an incumbent electric tr- transition owner uh, to pretty much run the lines. And, um, What we were looking at with regards to this is to ensure that we have reliable power uh, transmission, which is through the power lines. The state of Illinois is divided into two different sections when we come, talk about power. Up here in our area, we have the ComEd section. So we, we're in the ComEd territory. Uh, ComEd produces power for our area here. In southern Illinois, they are part of the MISO M-I-S-O uh, territory. And MISO stands for Mid Continent Independent System Operator. And most of the time, that energy comes from a company called Ameren. And so what this bill does is allows Ameren to run the electrical lines uh, right of first refusal. And uh, the governor, uh, mandatorily uh, vetoed that, uh, claiming that uh, the provision could increase energy. Uh, House Bill 3643 uh, that, this is a total veto. So he completely vetoed this bill. Uh, the bill requires the Illinois State Board of Education to enter into a statewide educator master contract to provide religious dietary options to all school districts. Uh, the governor vetoed the bill, stating that the Illinois State Board of Education cannot enter into such a contract because local school districts are responsible for providing these options. And the bill would restrict the capability of local school districts to have these contract with meal vendors based on their students' unique local and cultural needs. So that was a complete uh, veto. So that bill was uh, completely struck by the governor. Uh, Senate Bill 76, this was another total veto, uh, which was struck down. Again, the General Assembly can override these vetoes. Of the governor with supermajorities in both chambers. Uh, the bill lifts the moratorium on new construction of nuclear power plants to allow the construction of both advanced and traditional uh, reactors in Illinois. Uh, so part of the concern with regards to uh, this bill was the governor stated again that um, that they had the potential to have negative effects could potentially allow for large nuclear reactors to be built, um, these nuclear reactors, if they are looking at these large ones, take years and a lot of time and effort for them to be built. I, I, I I don't quite agree with that logic, but, um, It's a total veto. Again, we could have done a trailer bill to clean up the language had he not liked it, but he totally vetoed it. He based his concerns that definitions were overly broad and there were not enough regulatory protections in the bill. Uh, Senate Bill 1515 was another total veto. This bill restricts the employer's use of e-verify systems. So uh, those are, we are going to be looking at with regards to um veto session we have veto session towards the end of this year uh the end of october the beginning of november in six days so be looking at these bills along with other pieces of legislation that um that are before the general assembly um Mm -hmm. you moving on from the general assembly to the judicial branch a little bit of uh a swing there, the Illinois Supreme Court upheld the assault weapons ban. So there was a, uh, of course, a court, the court date went to the um, assault weapons ban, went to the Illinois Supreme Court. If you had not heard of that, the Illinois Supreme Court oversees Illinois. uh, The legislature passes the laws. The governor can sign or veto the law. The law can be challenged That is our three CIS checks and balances. The same is on the federal level. And then the federal courts, the federal Supreme Court, has jurisdiction over the state Supreme Courts um, as well. So that's our system. So therefore, when people come to me and say this law is unconstitutional, technically, they cannot say that unless the Illinois State Supreme Court any kind of court or the U.S. Supreme Court rules whether a bill is unconstitutional or not. A lot of people can believe, can have thoughts, but the overarching view is that, uh, and the overarching way our system works is that the Illinois Supreme Court or the U.S. Supreme Court are the ones or courts as well. If it doesn't get appealed, are the ones that uh, decide constitutionality, legality um, within our our system. So uh, there's a lot of people that can write a lot of stories about constitutionality, but at the end of the day, it lays with those two entities: Illinois Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court. So the Illinois Supreme Court, through the Illinois courts, was a court case that be, that addressed the assault weapons that was passed in the state of Illinois. There is a second case that's going through the federal courts. So just keep that in mind. There were multiple cases filed. This is in the Illinois courts that was filed. And the court dismissed the lawsuit brought by... Um, and I state court dismissed another court case that was in the state systems because the Illinois Supreme Court ruled that it upheld the law in a in a separate case. So when you have multiple cases coming through the Illinois Supreme Court or coming to the Illinois Supreme Court, and they rule on one of them, uh, the other judges have ruled to dismiss those same similar cases. So uh, the Illinois uh, Supreme Court ruled that it upheld the law upholds the assault weapons ban that was passed by the state of Illinois. Citing multiple reasons, you can read that court uh, logic, the opinion online, if you choose to. Uh, there was another lawsuit that filed challenging a recently enacted law that makes gun manufacturers and retailers subject. To that is still going through the court cases. Um, Congratulations are in order for a couple individuals. My colleague, uh, State Representative Marcus Evans, was elected as the vice president of NCSL. I talked about NCSL a little bit earlier, the National Conference of State Legislators. It's a, um, a group that is made up of individuals that serve in their state legislators throughout the nation. Uh, so congratulations on Marcus Evans. He was elected vice president. As a result, he will become president in 2025. So, uh, congratulations to Marcus Evans. Also, congratulations to Mark Mahoney, former House Clerk and Springfield Alderman. He was named Chief of Staff, Presidential Library and Museum. If you haven't gone down to Springfield and checked out the library and the museum. You should. It's a good. It's a very very good visit. Uh, we are working at. Um, With the Department of Natural Resources, Uh, they just released a climate action plan as a blueprint for reducing the agency's carbon footprint. So uh, looking at things such as planting uh, pollinator-friendly solar installation, electric charging stations in state parks, greater use of electric vehicles and equipment. Uh, They also are hoping to reach the state of Illinois' greenhouse gas reduction Uh, So we're working uh, extremely hard with regards to that internally. uh, We also are looking at keeping on that environmental uh, nugget, the Environmental Protection Agency, Illinois EPA. Again, Illinois has an Environmental Protection Agency. The federal government has an Environmental Protection Agency. Illinois EPA will start the next round of funding for Illinois' electric vehicle rebate program. That will begin November 1st, 2023, and will run through Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. Individuals that purchase a new or used all electric vehicle, and, and truth be told, I haven't seen any used all electric vehicles, but um, they might be coming uh, on the market from an Illinois licensed dealer, meet all other eligibility requirements, can apply during. So you can go online at the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency website and get all the information uh, and forms and instructions for submitting the rebate application. It will be available October 18th, 2023. So don't go today. Don't go today. October 18th, 2023. We are also looking at uh, Early Childhood Access Consortium for Equality a report just came out we get a lot of reports if you haven't noticed there's a lot of reports that come across my desk i try to read them try to be up to date on them try to give you summaries on them but we uh, definitely get a lot of reports so this consortium for equity is an effort by 61 public and private institutions six state agencies and community partners to meet the state's workforce needs in early childhood education So this is the first report providing a comprehensive picture of the work since it lost. So overall, we need to see enrollment in higher education programs for the current workforce to increase from a baseline year by 17.9%. So uh, to meet the workforce needs of the future, we need to invest today in early education childhood, uh, early childhood education. So the vast majority of the current workforce members continue to be enrolled in bachelor degrees and applied associate programs. We're also looking at federal funding, as I've talked before. The government and the state government work coherently with regards to funding and funding initiatives. The federal government gives funds to the state of Illinois. State of Illinois then allocate funds to uh, individuals, the programs, to administer the programs. So. Illinois facilities were awarded more than $1.4 million in federal grants to provide health screenings and follow-up services for kids five and under. Preventative health care is so important. Uh, The grants will go to uh, about seven clinics throughout Illinois. Uh, Also, we are looking at uh, FEMA. Uh, If you don't know what FEMA means, it's the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Now, as you guessed it, Illinois has AIMA, which is the Illinois Emergency Management Agency. So um, we are uh, very pleased and um, happy that the president, President Biden, approved our governor's request for FEMA assistance to offer individual assistance for Cook County residents that were impacted by severe weather in July. And um, these individual assistance programs from FEMA could include grants for temporary housing and home repairs, low-cost loans to cover uninsured property losses and other programs that help individuals and businesses recover. So when the state of Illinois has uh, disasters, flooding, um, severe storms and the like, that uh, the federal government can help the residents uh, in addition to what the state has. So this is a really positive development for the members of Cook County, the individuals that were impacted by the storms in July. Um, there was a class action lawsuit. You might not have known this. Uh, attorney General Kwame Raoul and other attorney generals from across the, the nation joined together to urge a federal court not to accept a proposed class action settlement with Hyundai and Kia related to car thefts. So the issue uh, what they are saying, and and if you again, uh, not to reiterate, but the Attorney General is the de facto lawyer for the state of Illinois, they represent the state of Illinois they represent. Um, Individuals like class Act and groups of individuals in the state of Illinois um, and other facets of law with regards to the state of Illinois. That's what our attorney general does. So uh, Kwame Raul is representing us and uh, his statement, along with the other attorney generals that he is joining with, is that the proposed settlement requires modifications, um, whereas the attorney generals are asking for a complete recall so that these um, impacted vehicles could be recalled. So the court rejected the settlement. Uh, Illinois is not quite party to the litigation, but um, they join it in the form of what's called amicus briefs, friends of the court. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. That's I I just. And um, so they are joining with regards to that. Kwame Waul and his office are closely monitoring, giving the high number of car thefts in Illinois. In 2022, there were over 7,000 Hyundai and Kia thefts in Chicago. So that's uh, quite the quite the situation here. Um, Legionnaires' disease. Uh, there is a sum. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the Environmental Protection Agency and the Shelby County Health Department are investigating several Legionnaires' disease cases in the town of Findlay. Um, we have talked about Legionnaires' disease years ago, uh, with regards to um, being in some water supplies, um, and definitely um, concern. There is a spike in that with regards to Legionnaires disease in um, Findlay, that's more like Southern Illinois. Now, during COVID, going back to some policies that we're working on, during COVID, Medicaid enrollment, so Medicare and Medicaid are uh, for individuals, uh, obviously you've heard of Medicare, uh, seniors, seniors, uh, individuals that is disabled and um, individuals that are um, impoverished, are on medicare and medicaid during covid medicare and medicaid were need were um required to do redeterminations uh but that was halted during covid these redeterminations which pretty much means if if somebody's impoverished and then they they um wind up being able to be employed and then they no longer are impoverished Then they don't qualify for Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, individuals that are disabled, they, they uh, need to re-deploy, reapply seniors and the like. It's called a redetermination process. And so that has begun. Uh, so it's beginning um, in August. And what we're seeing is that... Um, The Medicaid rolls are reducing due to this redetermination. Uh, So more than 34,000 individuals were removed for failing to respond or provide the necessary information to continue on Medicaid. So this doesn't mean that they don't qualify anymore. What it means is they need to be redetermined, and they haven't provided the information to be able to um, verify that they are still eligible for Medicaid. So um, we are looking at um, more than right now, we're looking at 47,000 people removed at the beginning of August based on re-enrollment requirements. Uh, and then of that 47, 34,000 of them did not respond to uh, the mailing that went out to redetermine whether or not they could qualify for this. Now, the individuals who are removed, they can re-enroll. They provide the information that, that's needed within 90 days. Uh, so definitely that's something. Recently, the federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services CMS, the uh, letter to HFS, inquiring about longer than usual call times at Medicaid call centers and stated that may be impacting the ability to renew Medicaid coverage. So Medicaid comes and is operated by the state, but is overseen by the federal government. Again, this is another one of these federal government programs that the state administers. And uh, so we are looking to ensure that individuals that um, need the services will get the services. And, um, And the federal government is overseeing the state with regards to this program. Other than that, um we have a mental health services in school grant. So um, I was just talking to and how um, individuals are more freely talking about mental health, mental health struggles, and um, individuals um, seeking mental health services uh, more frequently, which is very good, all positive. Uh, so what the state has done is, is put resources within uh, mental health services specifically for schools as well. And so the Department of Public Health is accepting grant application from schools and agencies that support children and adolescent health for federal funding intended to strengthen mental health services for students. Um, I, you know, suicide among teens and adolescents is always on the rise. Um, it's very concerning. And uh, we need to make sure that um, our students are well taken. So, um, with regards to mental health as well. So, if you are a part of a school district, or know of schools or or organizations that work with children in the school setting, uh, the Illinois Department of Public Health is accepting grant applications today. So. Moving on, the, the Illinois State Treasurer's Office is an unclaimed property. Recently, they had an auction of unclaimed property that has gone un, um, unclaimed <laughs> for a significant period of time. So um, always, it's so important. If if you have like a, a security box, or if your loved one had a security box at a bank and they can, the bank can no longer access them, they will put those unclaimed property. It can from papers to jewelry to uh, anything at all with regards to ownership of unclaimed property. It's actually objects. They also get unclaimed property if you have a bank account that uh, is dormant for a long period of time and the bank can no longer get a hold of you. They might turn that funds over to the state of Illinois as well. I frequently talk about the fact that I had a um, life insurance policy in California uh, when I was in the military. And um, forgot, literally just forgot about it and uh, got transferred to Okinawa, Japan, and then came home. And the state of California transmitted that um, small amount of uh, Monterey Valley policy to the state of Illinois. And uh, it was on the Illinois Treasurer's website, some unclaimed property. So you never know quite where uh, the unclaimed property is going to come about. So uh, definitely check the Office of the State Treasurer's, Michael Frick's, uh website for unclaimed property. In addition to that, though, the State Treasurer's Office is issuing an alert about spoofed domain registered to look like the office's legitimate website. So I just told you to go to the legitimate website, but there are spoof websites out there. They're pretty much Websites out there that will direct you in the wrong direction, left and right. So uh, always, always be diligent online. But this was a spoof website. So uh, the government website addresses end in.gov. .gov not not any other extension not .us not anything else so when you go to illinois.gov that's an official government website uh so you should go to illinoistreasurer.gov so uh i know it's sometimes and you click and and you in the search engine comes up with a, a website that you think would be the appropriate website it's the first on the list that's not always the case because normally if you look at the first one on the list when you do a search it's normally a website that paid to be first it's not always the right website it's the website that paid to be first it's an ad uh, something do be diligent with regards to your website and your searches so uh Definitely. uh, If you recall, we just talked about public health. If you recall, Dr. Iziki, she was our uh, Illinois Department of Public Health Director all during COVID. Congratulations to her. She is now the CEO of the area's largest safety net health system, Sinai, Chicago. Uh, So she is uh, working very hard and understanding the struggles of this industry. So when we talk about safety net hospitals, and I know a lot of people might not understand what this means, Uh, it's almost like, um, you know, internal speak with regards to government, government officials. Safety net hospitals, they provide services to the most needy, the most struggling, the most impoverished individuals. And they often operate on a shoestring budget. Because they are almost 100% funded by either Medicaid or Medicare. The Medicaid and Medicare reimbursement rates are exceedingly lower than private pay. So you see hospitals out in in our area that um, are a lot of private pay, private pay hospitals. So you, you work, you get health insurance, that private health insurance works with the hospitals and the doctors. When you deal with individuals that have Zero insurance, very low insurance, Medicaid, Medicare insurance. The margins are very, very slim. It's very, very hard. These uh, these individuals in a cost-effective manner, about 70% of Sinai Chicago patients are on Medicaid. So, um, and about 5% have private insurance and the rest has Medicare. So again, Medicare is through the federal government. Medicaid is through the state. So uh, when we talk about safe net hospitals, we talk about hospitals that are in um, struggling areas as well. And it's very difficult when these hospitals close because these individuals don't have any health care. And again, I I said earlier, um, it's the right thing to do to to help individuals uh, be The ones and to get the care that they are that many people uh, take for granted sometimes um, that through whatever or no fault of their own they find themselves struggling. Um. So working with regards to that, congratulations to Doctor Iziki so and her new uh, position. Now, what else comes across our desks? I'm not going to go through a lot of it. Uh, We just got a new report out on elder abuse in Illinois. A uh, four-month investigation revealed uh, a system uh, that is supposed to protect older adults from financial exploitation, so uh, we need to look at that. Um, we also has some reports that came out with regards to employment-related law. There were some recently signed piece legislation that came out with some individuals looking into that. Uh, we already talked about um, electric vehicles. So uh, there is a electric vehicle readiness program launched last year. Fifteen local governments, including Batavia, Elgin, Highland Park and DuPage County, all received training and technical assistance to prepare for the growing demand of environmental er, or electric vehicles. Um, We're looking at the nursing shortage. There's a lot going on. Uh, nursing shortage. We have a huge nursing nursing shortage. So, twelve Illinois healthcare providers and universities are among the dozens of institutions across the country receiving a portion, again, from the federal government of about a million, a hundred million dollars, to help alleviate the in- shortage. Uh, so, um, these grants are going to be distributed to try and train and get nurses into back into the field. We're also fighting invasive carp. You might have already heard about it. So uh, state and federal determined plans for the invasive carp has uh, really, uh, truly um, gotten people frustrated. So they're looking at other alternatives in which they can fight invasive carp. Uh, congratulations to Google. So Google had bought the Thompson Center in downtown Chicago. Uh, they look to be open by 2026. So, uh, it looks at opening up the office. And so, Google has our working in the Fullerton Market, just west of the downtown. And Google's future downtown office will hopefully rejuvenate the loop where many older office buildings have high vacancies. So, they're the the Thompson Center is about 1.3 million square feet. It's just huge. And so Google's looking at it. They uh, have a built to suit agreement with Chicago developers. And, um, and so they will launch a floor by floor gut renovation. They're not going to do a whole thing, just floor by floor. So um, October 11th, International Day of the Girl. So honoring the International Day of the Girl on October 11, 2023, the White House Gender Policy Council is seeking for girls in the United States, ages 14 to 18, who are leading change by tackling important issues facing the community. Nominations are due by August 25th. So uh, definitely that's um, something to keep in mind. I know that there's a lot of uh, wonderful uh, individuals out there that could qualify, So, uh, but nominations are due August 25th, so that would be Friday, so definitely. If you know of a a fabulous individual that might qualify, uh, please look to the White House Gender Policy Council is what you need to look for on the internet. Um, Illinois is up two spots which is not a bad thing. Up two spots to from 19 last year, national ranking of places to do business. This place is at right behind Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and just ahead of New York and New Jersey. Believe it or not, I know some of those, some of you will believe it. In 2019, we were number 30. So we've gone up to 70. That's quite the improvement. We're working really hard. Um, look, talking again about NCSL, uh, and actually, I said. Developing a state regulatory framework. Um, the the, the, the I, I sat in on the session with regard. And it's um, really interesting with regards to. Uh, How AI is using the Internet and how it's um, influencing a lot of things uh, that our youth are interacting with. Um, There's framework, there's design build that we can put into law that does not uh, infringe upon free speech. But it provides protections to individuals that are on the internet. As we look at it, artificial intelligence is is really a, a set of algorithms that um, that put in front of individuals uh, suggested and, um, for lack of a better word, add items in front of individuals browsing and using games and and um, can have negative consequences. Uh, first and foremost, um, verifying an individual's age. Uh, we have young individuals on the internet that may not be 13 or 14. And um, we have individuals that are interacting with them in a, in a very scary way. So uh, artificial intelligence is one of the things that uh, state legislators throughout the nation are looking at. And uh, making sure that the browsing is safer for young kids when they are browsing, um, one of the arguments is that, oh, parents should be more engaged with their children's browsing history and, and uh, um have a lot on their plates. And if the state governments can work to provide more safer ways that their children are online, I think that's the role of government to do. We can't put everything on the shoulders of parents. Parents are struggling so much. Um, And um, we just talked about mental health for our kids and um, providing services. So being there and if we can put in guidelines and um, really some great, uh, some good legislation that helps would be uh, very, very helpful. And I think that's the role of government because sometimes parents can't do it all. And sometimes government can do it more efficiently, more effectively to ensure that um, that individuals who are underage and not being objected to predators or unnecessary advertisements uh, and the like. So it was a very good session at NCSL and I, I look forward to working with them in the future with regards to this very important, um, very important subject matter. That we are facing today that kids my kids didn't have to face 20 some years ago so it's a it's a whole different landscape um uber is rolling out a new feature that allows drivers and riders to record audio during the trip to deter and resolve conflicts the feature will pop up on an app giving both the driver and the rider that the option to hit record when you are in a uber trip so um those are things that are coming across our um, our desk. Uh, Lastly, I have the pleasure to work with an individual named Representative Lance Yednock. He has chosen not to run again uh, and he will serve out the rest of his term but he just announced that um, he has chosen to um, end his service after his term ends next year. I just want to give a shout out that I've enjoyed working with them. I can't. I enjoy working with them next year during good policy and deliberations. And um, as as many people talk about, I've been. Uh, I was a sworn into office in 2013, and in the Illinois House, we are giving uh, our license plate numbers based on and um, really it's just been calculated, but um, based on seniority. Uh, I started at number 108, so that was my seniority number when I was first in office, Uh, I was number 108, and um, now if you want to look at numbers, I am number, technically number 23, and so what what we look at is turnover, more so in Illinois, because we do not have uh, um, term limits. And when you look at turnover, so we've had a couple individuals move, uh, leave. So in this General Assembly, we had Senators uh, Pacon zayas and Senator Van Pelt, Um Leave, retire, and uh, Representative Collins, as I just said, is moving over to the Senate. Representative Hurley and Representative Robinson both left the General Assembly. So, uh, again, so my number went from 108. To 23 in 10 years. So when you look at the 10-year by caucus as of today, when you look at the Senate Democrats, the median years served now, um, going back to math, the median uh, the median years served is 4.5 years. The average years served. So if you're not looking at the median, you look is 7.6 years. So the percentage of members with 10 plus years of service is 38%. The percentage of members with less than five years of service is 53%. So of the Senate Democrats, over half have served less than five years in the Senate. The Senate Republicans, the median year served is six years. The average year served is 7.8 years. Uh, The percentage of members with 10 or more years of service of the Senate Republicans is 21%. And the percentage of members with five years or less, less than five years, is 42% of the Senate Republicans. Now, if you're going to uh, look now, House Dems, that's where I'm at, House Dems, the median years served for House Democrats, four years, the median. The average years served is 6.7 years. The percentage of members with 10 years of service or more, which I now fall into, is 32%. So about roughly a third, 32%. The percentage of members with less than five years of service is 56%. So again, over half of the house has less than five years of experience uh, in the General Assembly. When we look at the other side of the aisle and the House Republicans, they, again, their median years same as the Dems, their average year served is four years. So median year served is four, average year served is four in the House Republicans. The percentage of members with 10 or more years of service is 13%. The percentage of members with less than five years of service on the House Republican side is 68%. Uh, A a vast majority uh, are less than five years of service. So when you look at the entire General Assembly, just to give you some context, the median years served of the entire General Assembly. So that would be the Senate, Democrat, Republican, House, Democrat, Republican. The median years served is four years. The average years served is 6.4 years. The percentage of members with 10 or more years of service is 28%. And then the percentage members with less than five years is 56%. So while I'm now on that, uh, I've, I've just crusted 10 years of service. So I'm part of that 28%. And you can tell uh, that it takes a long time to uh, really do a great job and 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 work very hard for the the state of Illinois, of the whole General Assembly, the majority of them, fifty six percent, has been five years. So just to 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 give you some perspective, I realize that there are individuals out there that um, that do discuss and and do believe in term limits. Um, the natural, the natural uh, attrition, uh, individuals uh, coming in and out of the General Assembly. As you can see, um, there is a natural term limit factor involved. But individuals, um, and 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 I can say just just coming into my tenth year. Um, there's a lot that needs to be learned at the state of Illinois. And there's a lot of new people in the state of Illinois uh, that um, in the ropes. And when you're as big as Illinois, fifth largest state in the nation. And if the state of Illinois was its own country, I believe it would be like the 13th largest country in the world. There's a lot that needs to be learned there. And it it does take a while. So I just wanted to throw those numbers out to you as we wrap up and let you know um, that I, I believe that everybody in the general assembly is working very hard, but but there is that that natural ebb and flow of the members. So with that, uh, Bob Dunn said good morning. So good morning, Bob. Good morning to everybody that is there. Um, COVID is still out there. In fact, uh, my daughter got COVID a couple of weeks ago, uh, so uh, definitely still be safe with that regards. But we are on a Military, we used to call these black flag days. Uh, So please be careful during extreme heat. Make sure you're hydrated. Uh, Stay inside if you can. And uh, just be careful out there as well. If you are suffering from um, your air conditioning going out, or if you don't have any air conditioning, there are cooling centers around the area. You can find them. You can call my office to get them. You can even stop by my office. Uh, during business hours if you need to cool off. But please be careful out there. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. I will give you an update again next week when uh, we tune in here to Facebook Live. Take care, everybody. Be safe, uh, be well, and have a good week.